live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Melissa Barkley giving us a thumbs up for Wagner's Rule of Life number four. It is true. See, that's the beauty of these rules. I mean, think about all the times you hear people getting arrested or getting into fights or getting shot. It, it's it's outside strip clubs at 2 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever. I mean, it's just go home. For goodness sakes, just go home. Life will be better. So, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, my lovely wife, she was bummed out this morning um, because she is a huge Huge, 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 and we've discussed this, fan of the Hallmark Channel. Now, this is, I I have a mixed marriage. I watch sports on TV. She watches the Hallmark Channel. I forget. Are you a Hallmark Channel guy? Not really, says Gru. Well, I mean, here's the deal. I mean, the the Hallmark Channel, it's, it's sort of like Jimmy Buffett. People who watch the Hallmark Channel, it's a cult. It's a nice cult, but it's kind of a cult. You know, every Christmas they come out with 30 Christmas movies, and they're really the same movie. It doesn't matter how you – I mean, it, it's the same movie. It's the girl from the small town who's moved away and is working in the big city, and now she gets the assignment to go back to the, the small town to close down the factory or what whatever, and she goes back and she hooks up with her old boyfriend who's been there trying to make cookies or whatever, and ultimately, you know, they have a misunderstanding, and then at the end it all works out, and the girl moves back, and the town is saved. Now, there's variations of this. Sometimes it's that uh, they have the series of ones where the girl is the journalist. She goes to some weird country, falls in love with the prince, but then, you know, inadvertently does this investigative report that says that maybe the prince, I was watching one of these the other night because it was on, the prince is not a blood relation. He was really secretly adopted by the king and queen. So when the king dies, he's not allowed to ascend to the throne. She falls in love with him, breaks the story. Oh, and it's just a catastrophe. But those are the different movies. She loves them. I know a lot of people love them because we've talked about the ratings they get. And I understand why people like the stuff on the Hallmark Channel because because even though it's all the same movie over and over again, just with the characters kind of changed, it's a feel-good sort of thing. It doesn't – you don't have to worry that there's going to be bad language. You know it's going to turn out well in the end. It's nice-looking people. I mean, it's just – I get it. It's one of these sort of things, and I, I don't say mindless in a bad way, but you can just kind of put it on – and you can relax, and you don't have to worry. I mean, my gosh, some of the stuff that's on TV nowadays, The I, I'm not into this, but the popular show is This Is Us on uh, on NBC. What a relentlessly, I mean, morbid show. I mean, it's, all right, the, the guy's an alcoholic, and the dad dies in the fire, and she's, the, the, the gal is finally pregnant. Now she's gone into labor a couple months early. Will the kid die? I mean, it's like one thing after another. And I'm thinking, okay, this is what people watch for entertainment? Oh, all right. So in any event, you know, she likes the Hallmark Channel and all. Well, she was distraught today because 
The big news, of course, yesterday was this indictment of dozens and dozens of people involved in this education fraud. And, you know, two Hollywood actresses, um, Felicity Huffman, who is married to Bill Macy, who's the shameless guy who's in Fargo. She was on, on Desperate Housewives and done a lot of different movies and TV. Um, she was one of the ones indicted. And the other gal that was indicted was Lori Laughlin, who... Younger, you know, she was, you know, she was on Full House for years and years. She was what Aunt Betty. I really didn't watch Full House, but she was that character. But but lately, I mean, she's in all the Hallmark movies, or it seems like she's in all the Hallmark movies. She's one of the stars. She's she's in a whole bunch of these. Matter of fact, she was apparently when the indictment was made public, she was in Canada filming a Hallmark movie and had to fly back, so she made her court appearance. My guess is that she is. This is probably the end of her career on Hallmark movies. That would just that would kind of be my guess because you you don't necessarily think of Hallmark movie stars and indicted for whatever, um, regardless of whether or not she goes to prison, which is probably an unlikely sort of thing. But anyways, my, my wife was just she said, I, I watch all these Hallmark movies with her and said, well, I, I don't think she's going to be around for a while. So this year, at least, my my guess is no. But I, I do want to start off with a follow-up to what we talked about yesterday with this breaking news. Long story short, and I have read the various indictments, so you don't have to. Here's essentially what happened. You had a number of super rich people who wanted to get their kids into elite schools that the kids would not have other qualify, otherwise qualified to get into. You know, Yale and USC and UCLA and Stanford and there was a Wake Forest Georgetown a variety of them so there was this guy who ran sort of a a clearinghouse to help get kids into schools and the parents would pay him a bunch of money and then he would do various things to get the kids in in some cases they had this system, and, and how it worked, it doesn't really matter. But you would pay a certain amount of money, and essentially they had a way to get to the test results and, quote-unquote, correct your test results. So in the case of this Felicity Huffman, what she's alleged to have done is paid the guy $15,000, and he was, by hook or by crook, able to get a hold of the their daughter's SAT results, SAT test before it was submitted and changed a bunch of answers. So she ended up scoring four or 500 points higher than she otherwise would have, which made her perhaps eligible to get into the school. The um, Some of the things were, were much more egregious. There were a number of coaches at various universities in what I'm going to call the second or third tier sports. And, and this this is not a knock to the people who play water polo. It's not a knock to the people who, who row crew. But there were a number of these coaches who were getting paid off by this this broker. And what he would do is he would take money from the parents. He would keep some of the money for himself, and then he would bribe coaches for example for the for Lori Laughlin and her husband they wanted their kid to get into USC kid would not have qualified for USC otherwise so what they did is they said okay well here's what we want to do we how about we get her admitted because she's going to row crew 
So what they do is they pay off the crew coach. The co- the crew coach says, all right, I, I we're going to get these in under this exception because they're going to be student athletes. Don't have to give them a scholarship, but they're going to be student athletes. They go as far as like taking pictures of the kids, like <laughs> like rowing and things like that. So they've got this stuff in the file. Then what happens is the kid enrolls and the kid drops out. You know, it drops out a crew. Happens all the time. Somebody you know walks on to a football team and they decide it's not for them, so they quit. But it was that this hook, this false and the bribe showing that they were going to row crew. So that gets them admitted. And then, again, now they're in the school. So this had been going on for a while. It has now been exposed. And my guess, and it is just a guess, but my guess is this is just the tip of the iceberg. My guess is that um, it's not just these 30-some parents who've been indicted. My guess is the entire upper education system is probably you know rife with this. So, okay, so the parents who paid the bribes have been indicted. The guy who ran the overall scheme, who paid the bribes, who had the people come in and falsify the the standardized tests, they've been indicted. The coaches who took the bribes, they have been indicted, and in most cases, they're now they're, they're being fired by their universities. Now, the, the, the universities say they didn't know any of this stuff was going on, and I, I guess maybe you believe them, maybe you don't. But regardless, so the coaches are all being fired. Well, here's where I want to start our discussion today. What about the kids? What about the kids who got admitted to these universities over the last couple years, most of whom are still there, who got in under false pretenses because mom and dad, the helicopter parents, decided to pay this money? Now, in some cases, you got to know that the kids were in on it. You, you've got to know that the kids, when, when mom and dad say, here, we, we need you to go po- pose in this rowing shell and pretend that you're rowing because we're going to take pictures to send it off. You know the kids have to know that this is part of a scheme. Um, I would imagine that the kids who were participating and having their SAT scores doctored and things like that, my guess is most, if not all of them, knew that too because in some cases, actually, they didn't even take the test. There was somebody else that took the test for them. But my guess is the kids knew or should have known. So now the kids are at schools. They have gotten into schools that they would have otherwise not gotten into were it not for these bribes. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What happens to the kids? Are the kids now, are they innocent victims of -of out-of-control helicopter parents, or are they essentially unindicted co-conspirators who should be expelled from school immediately? How do you deal with the kids? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. But what should happen to the kids who are now taking up space at a university? They're taking up a spot that would have gone to somebody else's kid were it not for the fraud. How do you handle them? We're back in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, so the parents are indicted. The guy that paid all the bribes to get the kids in school is indicted and has pled guilty. The people who took the bribes, they are now under indictment. 
What about the kids that are still in school who don't deserve to be there? Brian in Brookfield. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, the couple of kids, I think the two girls from Lori Laughlin, uh, said they were on the crew. Right. They never wrote a, a day in their life. They right. should be expelled. Came with at Yale soccer and tennis. Those kids are in on the scam because they're not athletes, and I feel bad for the kids that couldn't get on a team because there wasn't a spot. Right. Some of the other kids that might not have known, you know, that their parents did that, you know, they're victims too. They shouldn't be, but their scores should be reevaluated in school to see if they're really able to go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the thing with these pe- people that have that much money, they could have called USC and said, hey, you know something, I'm thinking about donating <laughs> a half a million dollars to the library if I get yeah. a name on there. Oh, by the way, my daughter's applying there, just FYI. You know they're going to fast track them and let them in the school for the money. Well, yeah. See, that's the bizarre that thing because because there are. Oh, it's not illegal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, well right. I mean, well, yeah. You see, that's the thing that strikes me. Rather than going through all this trouble, I wonder what would have happened. Lori Laughlin's married to this, you know, high end fashion designer. Yeah. If if instead of committing a crime and paying five hundred thousand dollars in bribes, I agree with you completely. You go to the dean yeah. of the film school and say, you know what. I want to build, I'm going to give you a million bucks. <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. I want you to build a, a, a wing over here. And by the way, I'd really like my kids to go. You know, though, you're that's exactly right. Those kids are going to get in, and, and it's all. And that's, a legitimate, and that's a legitimate tax write-off to donate to the school directly instead of some shady guy. And then now they're in trouble for, you know, wire fraud, tax fraud. I mean, they're, they're in a world of hurt. Well, they are. Okay, well, let's go back. So you and I both would agree that the, the kids who obviously knew about the scheme, they got to go. The ones who posed in the crew thing and, and all that. I mean, the daughter the daughter of Lori Laughlin is a big uh, Internet sensation, and she yep. was even on the Internet bragging that her parents are making her go to school because <laughs> they never went. Yep. And she's more interested in the partying and the game days and doesn't even want to go to school. Right. So, I mean, she knew she was in on it from the get-go. What about, though, the other kids? Let, let, let's assume for the sake of argument that there might have been some of the other kids who didn't, and I, I'm not sure this is really true, but I'll, you know, just just in theory, that there's a couple kids who might not have known that mom and dad were paying to have their test results doctored or things like that. Right. They, they still don't didn't meet the qualification efforts to get in. What what do you do with them? I mean, even if they didn't know, if they wouldn't have otherwise gotten in, but for the fraud, do you let them stay? Well, I always say where there's smoke, there's fire. Now let's pull all their transcripts from their classes to see if they're really, you know, able to pass the class the grades. Maybe they're paying someone to go to class for them. All they really want at the end is the degree to say I graduated from USC. Uh, you know, maybe they're maybe they're doing some other shady stuff on the side once they're in. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, no, you you don't know. I guess which is why which is why I think the answer is every one of these kids that got in through fraud I don't think, you know, they're, they're not charged criminally right now, but it doesn't matter. I don't care if it's because of, like, the bogus athletic thing or somebody took their test for them or somebody, quote, unquote, corrected their test results. I think every one of them needs to be expelled. They got in under false pretenses through a scheme that was designed for their benefit. I, I have a, a text that makes an interesting point. It says, hey, if I embezzled a million bucks from my company and I gave that million bucks to my kids and my kids didn't know that I had stolen it and you find out and they still got the million bucks, well, they don't get to keep it. I mean, it, it seems to me it's kind of the same principle. Uh, let's talk to Lamar from Orlando, Florida. Hi, Lamar. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think should happen? 
I think that I agree with your point. I think the kid should be booted. Um, the person with the text made a better example than I did. My example was if I were selling drugs and we lived this great lifestyle and my kids got to live this life of privilege in private school as a result, and we get busted, we don't get to keep all of that. They got to lose it even though they may not know what we we're up to. Right. Um, but not only that, I think that uh, a fund should also be set up as well um, for those kids that did not were not able to get in. I'm sure the school knows who they denied spots to um, or keep some kind of record for those that were not able to get in that lost that opportunity Yeah. Um, as a result of this this ridiculous scam, which is, has me scratching my head, to be quite honest. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just it's it's tough to figure out how to compensate them because my guess is some of the kids that didn't get in, they're probably somewhere else now. I mean, okay, so you didn't get into USC, so you didn't get to Stanford, maybe you got in somewhere else. I, I don't know. But it's, it, it's thanks for call. It's just it is a complete and total mess. And, again, this is – the, the bigger point about all this is is this is the logical extension of what we have been seeing for a number of years with the growing number of helicopter parents who decide that that they want to they want to be the ones that again steer their kids we've got to get our kids into the special preschool we've got to get our kids into the the special undergraduate situation we got to get them into the right prep schools all this is important and and so you have kids and again, the, the example that people are, are giving, the, the, especially a couple of these kids, the ones for Lori Laughlin, you're exactly right. She's a she's kind of an internet sensation, and you know, there she's got a brand on YouTube, and you know, she's billing herself she's the partying USC student. Well, it's all a complete and total fraud, and it, it's this idea that okay, here we're going to make the famous. The kids apparently there they have no interest in going to classes, they have no interest in getting an education. They want to be there because hey, we we want to party and we want to enjoy the college life, and and that would be all well and good except for the fact that they don't qualify to get in there in the first place, and they are taking other people's spaces. And this is one where I hope they throw the book at everybody, but my prediction is this is really kind of the tip of the iceberg. My guess is if you have 30-some people that did it through this one guy, my guess is there's probably hundreds of other people across the country who was do- who were doing similar things with similar outfits. This one guy can't be the only one who was paying these bribes. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. All right. This morning, I, I against my better judgment, I, I kind of bit the bullet and I decided, all right, I'm going to find out what type of plane I am going to be on. Now, a, a week from tomorrow, just, just taking a couple of days off, I'm actually I'm going to Las Vegas. Um, my wife and I and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, we're, we're going to go to Las Vegas for just a long weekend. Go out Thursday, come back on Sunday. It's the first weekend of the NCAA basketball tournament. Las Vegas is a lot of fun. Going to see a couple shows. We're just going to do that. So I'm flying Southwest. And, of course, Southwest is the air carrier who has the most, at least domestically, of these Boeing 737 MAX 8 jets that have, you know, we'll talk about just in, in a minute. And I find this morning I said, okay, well, I, I want to know. Now, I was going to get on the plane regardless, but candidly, if if it if the flight was going to be on one of these MAX 8s, I'm not sure I could have gotten my wife on the plane with me. She might have simply said, is the insurance paid up? I'll see you later on. Well, I checked this morning, and at least – Going out there, it, it is not it is not the 737 Max 8 by Boeing. It's another Boeing plane, but but that's fine. So, 
Now, who knows? They could always change them, but at least the way it's scheduled now, this is not an issue on the flight that I am on. Everybody knows this story by now. You had a few months ago this this it is a new plane being produced by Boeing. It is the 737 MAX 8. It is extremely popular because it is very, very fuel efficient. Already, there's about 400 of these planes in service across the country, across the world. About 74 are being flown by domestic carriers. But airlines, and this is the key thing, have already ordered um, over 4,500 more of the planes. So it's not so much the 400 that are out there, but it's the, the 4,500 that have also been ordered. Well, everybody knows the story by now. A few months ago in October, one of these planes crashed. It was being flown by Lion Air um, and Indochina. The plane took off. And what apparently happened, as near as they're able to figure out, is when, as the plane was climbing, when they went to switch on autopilot, like they're supposed to do, they switched on autopilot, and then there was some information that was incorrectly sent to the plane sensors or whatever, and it caused the plane to nosedive, and the, the pilots were unable to get it out of the autopilot thing, and so the plane ended up crashing, going in nose first. Over the weekend... There was, on Ethiopian Airlines, the same brand of plane crashed, killing, what, 157 people, uh, crashed four to six minutes after takeoff, and it appears the same sort of thing. Now, we don't know for sure. They've recovered the black boxes, and they've looked at them, but if you look at the, the flight pattern, plane took off. It was having trouble gaining altitude, looked like the nose kept wanting to come down, and, and ultimately it crashed, and it crashed in the same fashion as the one did several months ago. The... Boeing says that this is there's no there's no problem with the the plane. Interestingly, now there's these different places that pilots can go and pilots can report concerns that they have with planes. And at least there's a handful of pilots who have flown these planes who are saying that the manual, the flight manual is just awful on, on this thing as far as explaining how to handle the, these type of emergency situations. If something goes wrong like this, it is very, very unclear. It doesn't instruct the pilots clearly as to what they're supposed to do to, in this case, get the plane out of the nosedive. So there's at least a handful of those that are out there. At the same time, there are 400 of these planes in service nation uh, worldwide, and they, they've flown hundreds of thousands of hours safely, and we haven't had any problems in the United States. Well, here's the deal now. Originally, only a handful of countries, after the second crash, decided to ground these planes pending review. That has started to gain more and more momentum. When we started the program yesterday, the United Kingdom, Britain, had decided, okay, we're, we're going to ground these planes. Then you had Germany that followed suit. The latest, the latest shoe to fall is this morning. Canada has now grounded these planes as well, which means the United States remains, we are now the sole nation flying Boeing 737 MAX 8 planes. Um, Boeing continues to say it's safe. The Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, they say, well, we don't think that there's a basis for 
um, again, grounding the planes pending investigation. And the reality is you ground the planes and, and it could cause some problems with air traffic. Like I say, in the United States, there 74 of these are being flown. And that's there's thousands of planes that are out there, but you take 74 out of commission and, and you're going to have delays. There's no question about it. But most countries now say we don't believe it is safe to fly these planes until we know more about it. So they're going to just have to be parked. The U.S. steadfastly refuses to do so. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would I get on this plane if the choice was not flying the plane and not being able to go on vacation to Las Vegas? I would get on the plane, all right? But, but... Having said that, we are now the only major country in the world that continues to fly this plane at this point in time. Nobody is saying that these flights have to be permanently grounded. Nobody is saying that the, these planes have to be permanently taken out of commission. But pretty much everywhere else in the world is saying, hey, two crashes with a lot of similarities over the course of four months is enough to say maybe we should pull these things. In addition, some of the flight unions, uh, particularly Southwest is the one that has the most planes. Southwest, I think, flies 34, um, and they've ordered a bunch more. American, I think, has 24. United has has just a handful of this. But the, um, the unions for Southwest are all on board. They're saying, hey, we, we should we should pull these until we know more. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you get on one of these planes knowing what we know now and in an exercise of caution until they figured out why the second crash occurred? Should the United States join the rest of the world in saying, we're grounding these planes for the moment. Is there any reason not to do that as a precaution? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. I'll give you my answer, and I will admit, my thinking on this has kind of evolved over the course of the last uh, couple days as more information has come out and as more countries have signed up. 414-799-1620, back to, with your calls in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Devin West Bend sends me a text and says, Jeff, if the crew is willing to get on the plane, I'm willing to get on the plane. Well, that's all well and good, except the union representing the flight attendants on Southwest Airlines, which flies 34 of these planes, they say the plane should be grounded. The Association of Flight Attendants, which says it has nearly 50,000 members, they say it should be grounded a- as well. So, yeah, the, the crew's going to get on it, but at least their, their unions that represent them are saying, we, we think these should be temporarily grounded. Nobody's saying permanently, but temporarily grounded till they're fixed. Here's something in one of the stories I'm looking at that caught my attention. The FAA said it expects to require Boeing to complete MAX 8 flight control system enhancements prompted by the Lion Air crash by month's end. (laughs) Okay, I guess that did catch my attention because, okay, if, if there are enhancements to the flight control system that need to be made because a plane crashed, Maybe we, we shouldn't be waiting until the end of the month to do it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Sue in Brookfield. Hi, Sue. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Would you get on one of these planes? 
Um, I'm actually not getting on one of these planes. I was scheduled to fly on a MAX 8 to Orlando on Sunday morning, and Southwest proactively came to us and said, you can change your flight if you're scheduled on a MAX 8. Okay. And we did. My husband and I both fly a lot, so while it didn't particularly overly frighten us, I think the fact that everyone else has grounded them and the flight attendants and pilots union are... um, believe they should be grounded, that had a bigger impact on us. And we felt like, well, if we can get on a different flight instead, yes. why would we not do that? Right. I guess that's kind of where I come down on this. And and I admit, in the beginning, when this first started happening, I was kind of skeptical on this and saying, okay, well, you know, maybe it's pilot error, those types of things. But obviously, there, there's something going on, whether it's pilots need to be better trained as to how to happen, how to deal with something when there's a software malfunction or whatever. But I'm, I'm sort of with you, and I'm, I'm not this nervous Nelly about it, but when you have the rest of the world that is saying, okay, we we want we want to set these planes down until we figure out what the heck happened. I don't. It's almost like the U.S. going stubbornly ahead. And I'll, I'll tell right. you something, Sue. You know, I think Boeing is a great company, but one more of these things happen, and that great company is history. I think. I I would agree with that. Now, you know, we also felt that because they had happened internationally, that perhaps the training might not have been the same by the other airlines. That right. they might That it might be for. Uh, U.S. domestic airlines, but it just didn't seem. If we had an option to change it, right. why would we not? No, I got. Thanks for calling. Well, and it's interesting. That was one of the things that was going on as well. You know, could this have been you know, poorly trained pilots or whatever? Except some of the stuff that's coming out. Like I said earlier, there's there's apparently a place that pilots can go anonymously to express complaints or concerns they have about aircraft. And as, as they're going out, they they now have a handful of pilots, just a handful who have said, you know, we, we've flown this MAX 8, and we've had similar sort of control things, you know, just did, and the, the flight manual is just awful as far as dealing with, you know, telling you how to handle these types of, of situations. Because, look, I mean, the truth of the matter is, flying a plane for people who know how to fly planes a lot of this is automated it's pretty much like driving a bus until something goes really really wrong and apparently the flight manuals just don't do a very good job of explaining how you handle this situation on a new plane when something ends up going wrong 414-799-1620 john in oak creek john you're on wtmj yeah as i was telling your uh, screener i think it's all about the money Mm-hmm. Uh, I told him that uh, Boeing is an American company, and I think the CEO of Boeing and all the stockholders are putting pressure on the FAA not to ground it because you're talking lots of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the main reason. And until you know, it, uh, one goes down, like I said, then it's going to be too late. Well, I mean, see, and that's the risk that, that you have from, from a Boeing perspective – I guess I'm, I'm trying to think if I were Boeing, and let's say Boeing obviously legitimately believes this plane is safe. I mean, I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're putting up planes that they intend to crash or they think are going to crash. But obviously, there might be something going on here. And from Boeing's perspective, Lord forbid if the U.S. keeps flying these because, to your point, you know, political pressure or whatever, and there is an incident like this. I mean, that's 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 a death blow for this company, don't you think? Oh, definitely. It'll, actually, yeah. caller, and you said, their history. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they may become history, and so may 
uh, about 160 people uh, well, going I, down with that plane. Well, yeah, I mean, thanks. I mean, you you, you hope. You you hope not. I, I I I do the story that I'm looking at though. It did kind of catch my attention where it says, well, the FAA expects these these different adjustments that they make. I mean, the, the sense I get is it's kind of like a, a an auto recall. You know, get that notice, the, the recall notice, and it's it's not something that's you necessarily think is going to happen. But it's you know, next time you go in to get your rail changed, you know, have have them take care of this recall thing. Well, this is an airplane. <laughs> I guess. You know, if if it's well, we need to make modifications to the the flight system uh, as a result of the crash that happened in October. Maybe maybe you should make these flight control system enhancements. Maybe you, you shouldn't wait till months end to have them done. I, I'm just I'm just saying, and I'm not trying to be a nervous Nelly. Dan in New Berlin. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Dan. Um, something really ironic. Uh, this, this last weekend, I was on a business trip. With Southwest on a uh, on a 800, you know, 737X 800, and not realizing, I went, "Holy Christ, this is the one that." Okay, no, crash. no, just so be the 737-800 is not the plane. The, oh, the, it's not. No, it's not. This is the 737 Max 8, which is different than the 800. Oh, okay. Well, oh, anyway. Uh, okay, <laughs> right. No, no. But, but it uh, just made you want to look, you know. So uh, the ones coming back were 700. So, but right. my, my thoughts um, are just, you know, I am involved in the auto industry and, and, and a Mercedes deal. I'm a service director. And we, when we had a safety issue, we can't even sell those cars yet until right. they're inspected and done. They're put on a hold. And that's... You know, this is not even a crash. This is like a safety thing to keep the people safe. Sure. In this case, you know, this could be, like you said, very, very serious if something did happen. And I, I really think they should at least temporarily ground until they know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, right, exactly. Or or you, if, if it's an enhancement situation or whatever it is. And I guess one of the things that's brought me around to this is the idea that the rest of the world has done it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it, it's kind of like... You know, the argument, one of the arguments that we had about concealed carry was, well, we, we you know, we, we can't do it in Wisconsin. It's going to be the Wild West. And I said, well, 48 other states have this. I mean, you, you mean that we're particularly more bloodthirsty? Well, this is the flip side of it. If the rest of the world thinks that it's a good precaution, you know, why do we go ahead and do it? But no, I, I want to be real clear here. The, at least, and I'm willing to be corrected, but I'm, I, I'm right about this. The, the 730s, there's all sorts of different variations of the 737. There's the 737, 700, there's a 737-800, which is a different plane than the 737 MAX 8. There's only 34 of those that Southwest has in its fleet. So, for example, when I looked at the flight that I was taking to Las Vegas next week, it's the 737-800, not the, not the MAX 8. One more call. James in Milwaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How Hi, James. You? Real well, thank you. Hi. Okay, would you get on this plane? No, not not. Not really. I think that would give me some pause and reservations. I must say that I've flown Southwest for the last 10 to 15 years. I think it's an outstanding airline. Mm-hmm. they got a good reputation, but I think by them kind of balking on this and looking other way, I think you, they do themselves a disservice to the public when they do that. Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, weren't there about two or three weeks ago I heard some employees from Southwest, it may have been the mechanics, they were complaining about the Southwest planes and, and how Southwest was having them to, you know, yeah. put the planes in the air because they said that there's they were doing not 
or work on the mechanical maintenance of the planes, and they complain themselves, and that kind of threw right. a red flag up to me. Yeah, James, thanks for call. What, what that is, Southwest is in a nasty battle with its mechanics union, and the, the mechanics union wants a new contract. And one of the things they've been doing is they've been there. There have been periodic sick outs and things like that. So this has been going on. That's why Southwest has had to delay a lot of flights or cancel flights because you know the, the mechanics haven't been. Uh, again, they're. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a labor battle, and so the the planes haven't been getting serviced as quickly. Mechanics have been calling in sick, so that's kind of a different issue. But that's been hitting Southwest as well. But like I say, there are at least a couple pilots over the last few months who have experienced this this on this particular plane. They said flight up in you know when we turn on the autopilot. You know, there's sometimes the plane wants to kind of force its way down. Now, other people have been over, able to override it, but uh, not this case. In any event, I, I think this is one where an exercise of caution. I, I appreciate that we are the leader of the world. In this case, maybe we want to rethink allowing these planes to fly until we know for sure that they're safe. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Hey, welcome back. A quick program note. I'm off tomorrow. Um, Scott Wars is filling in for me. Nothing fun. My uh, best friend's mom passed away, and so the funeral is tomorrow afternoon. And then Friday morning, it's that uh, Friday morning, a, uh, a guy, really good guy who I worked with in the U.S. Attorney's Office back in another lifetime. He passed away. He was an IRS uh, criminal investigator and I want to try to get to uh, the visitation for there, but I will be in to do the show. But that's kind of my next 48 hours. Channel 4, today's TMJ4, had a very interesting story. I want to just kind of give you the highlights of this to get your reaction because there, I am somebody who does not believe in Medicare for all. I'm not because, I mean, that I think would be just devastating national health, you know, services and all. I I just think it would be absolutely devastating to the quality of medical care that we have and the cost as well. But I I confess that there are stories like this that I I think make people understand or should make people understand why people hate the, the health system. One of one of the things that we are always taught is that you should be responsible when it comes to medical care. It, you, you shouldn't go to an emergency room when it's not an emergency. You shouldn't go to urgent care when it's not urgent. And the whole idea is if you go to the emergency room, that's going to cost a lot more than if you just schedule an appointment to see your doctor. And if you go to urgent care, it's going to cost more than if you you know schedule the appointment to see your doctor. So we are cautiously, we are constantly being told, appropriately so, try to, to manage your situation and, and try to figure out you know what you really need. Well, here's the story that they were reporting on today's TMJ4 yesterday. It's a family out of McGuanagall. And what happens is they have they have a little girl and she gets a splinter in her foot. Okay, it it happens over last summer. And so mom and dad try to get the splinter out of her foot and they they can't. It's it's not coming out right. Okay, so they they decide, all right, well, all right, we don't we want to mess around with this. We don't want to make it worse. So what we'll do is we'll take our kid to see the doctor. Well, they they say, all right, look, we're we're not going to go to the ER 
It's a splinter. It's not an emergency. We're not going to go to urgent care because, well, it's a splinter. She's uncomfortable, but it's it's a splinter. It's not a life-threatening thing. You know, we'll we'll just deal with it. So they make an appointment to see their primary care physician, and just like you're supposed to do. And they go in. They say, hey, she, she's got a splinter in her foot. Uh, the pri- now they figure, hey, look, you know, we, we've got insurance here. So what, what we figure is, I mean, this is a routine doctor's visit. It's going to cost me 30 bucks for the, the copay. And, you know, that, that's, that's fine. You know, and then you've got the insurance for the, the rest. All right. So they go in and the doctor says, yeah, you're right. You know, she, she, she's got a splinter in her foot. And so he says, just a second. And he goes and he gets a scalpel. And he pops the splinter out, and they, they go on their way. It, it's a couple minutes tops. I mean, it's just, you know here. Let me let me get my let me get my little scalpel here. Here, I'll I'll make the decision. I'll take it out. Okay, so splinter's gone. Everything's fine. Whole visit takes just a, a couple seconds. All right, they get a bill. The bill is for three hundred and seventy-seven dollars and forty-nine cents, plus the copay. So it's 400 bucks. As it turns out, if they didn't have insurance, it would have been like 750 bucks. But they had insurance, so it's 400 bucks. And the, the guy calls and he says, well, well, wait a second. I mean, it, it just, it's a splinter. They took out a splinter. And so what the, what they say, they say, well, here, here's, here's the deal. Um, First of all, the doctors, the guy says, I'm looking at the bill, and it says that it was surgical. And the, the dad says, well, you know, I think it's surgical. I think you're taking tonsils out or you're taking an appendix out. This is, they, they took a splinter out. And he apparently says to the doctor, did, did you consider it to be surgical? And the doctor says, no, but this is this is how we, we code it, so this is what I code it. So then they complain to the, the hospital. The hospital investigates, and they said, well, no, 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 this is surgical because the physician used a scalpel. So presumably, if the physician had used tweezers, it would not have been, although I don't know if tweezers are surgical, but because the physician used a scalpel, they this, this is surgical, and so the charges are valid. You owe us this money. Pay up, or we're going to sick the collection agency on you. Or if you don't have the money, you know you can you can finance this. Um, here's the the statement that the hospital issued at this at the request of the the patient. We reviewed the charges he received for his daughter's care on July 30th, 2018. We shared our findings with him last October. All documentation was deemed appropriate for the care received. The final cost was determined by the care received and the insurance coverage. We have offered him a payment plan if he prefers to pay in installments. And the guy is saying, "Hey, it was a it was a splinter that they popped out. This wasn't surgery." And he's built four hundred plus dollars, including you know the and I assume it goes towards his deductible, so he's out of pocket for that. And if he didn't have insurance, it was seven hundred dollars. And he's saying this is ridiculous. I did all the things that I was supposed to do. I didn't go to the emergency room. I didn't go to urgent care. It was a splinter. I came in and saw the physician. Took him thirty seconds or whatever it did, and now they're charging me four hundred bucks. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, don't get me wrong. I, I think. Doctors have every right to make money. I think hospitals have every right to make money. I think people, you know, need to pay fair prices for medical services. At the same time, 
400 bucks to remove a splinter, considering that as surgery because the physician chose to use a scalpel to do that as opposed to tweezers, presumably because the scalpel was a little bit easier. 414-799-1620, does that sound right to you? And my guess is, if it doesn't, this is the type of thing that happens to people perhaps all the time. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. $400 to remove a scalpel, uh, to remove a splinter, because the hospital considers it to be surgery. Really? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. If you want a link to this story, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link that's sent out. It aired on Channel 4 yesterday, and they've got an interview with the dad uh, about this. Here's one of our texts. Jeff, insurance companies and hospitals better remember situations like this when the U.S. moves over to a single-payer health care system. Even though socialized health care sucks, when things like this occur, there will be a backlash, and that backlash could be insurance companies put out of business and hospitals under government control. I mean, it just this story caught my attention, and I, I because my concern is I don't think it's unique. You take your kid to the hospital to have to to the doctor to have a splinter pulled out, and because the doctor goes and gets a scalpel, they say it's a surgery, and they charge the dad four hundred because he's insured. Otherwise, it would be seven hundred. Let's talk to Grant at Wauwatosa. Grant, you're on WTMJ. Hi, uh, I just heard your story there, and it sounds very similar to something my daughter experienced. She's a, uh, a teacher here in Milwaukee, and she has the insurance for the family. Uh, my granddaughter, who's 12 at the time, uh, broke her toe. They went in to the regular their doctor, not, not urgent care, and uh, all they did was tape it up. And uh, later, they got the bill for somewhere in the neighborhood of three or $400, and it was mentioned surgery. My daughter questioned there was no surgery, you know, and she's going round and round with them. Uh, they would not change the way it was classified. Right. So uh, she so far has not gotten any satisfaction, and it takes time for her to fight this. But it, I'm going to call her after she gets out of school and <laughs> tell her about your story there. It sounds very similar. Well, yeah, I mean, th- again, and look, and I, I understand that, that hospitals have to make money and clinics have to make money and doctors have to make money. I, I, I understand all that, but I, I think... Maybe this is one of these huge arguments for transparency, that if you take your kid in because she's got a splinter and removing a splinter that takes all of a few seconds to do, if that's going to be treated as surgery and you're going to end up being charged somewhere between 400 and 700 dollars for that procedure, maybe that's one that you need to tell people about up front. Do you know what this is going to cost you at the end? Because, you know, maybe if that had been the case, the dad would have tried harder to get that, get that splinter out or, or move to plan B or move to plan C. Let's talk to Kevin on the south side. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, I just heard your story, and um, I'm just going to relate my story real quick. I went to go see a specialist at a hospital. His office happens to be in the hospital. Usually my insurance would cover specialists as a $70 copay. When I got my bill... It was $800 because my insurance won't cover it because they're considered a hospital visit. <laughs> okay, because because your doctor's office is in the hospital. <laughs> Correct. Yep, it was considered a hospital visit, and it was going to be part of my deductible. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so did, I, I assume you called them and said, that's where his office is. I was visiting him. 
I called them. I had the hospital send them a letter. Basically, the insurance company was like, "Too bad, so sad." Oh, that's I. You know, see, thanks for calling. See, and that see, that's one of the things that I think does irritate people. And I'll, like I said, people know my story. A couple of years ago, um, with my late wife, we I. I, I we we were involved in intensive medical stuff and things like that and i i was i was incredibly happy with the quality of care that that we received during that period of time and i i was the, our insurance covered the bills and things like that uh, and, and so i mean i don't have a beef with the healthcare system i think you know we we had very very good healthcare but but it is these things that i think frustrate a lot of of average people where you you try to do the right thing you say okay i'm not going to go to the er i'm i'm not going to go to urgent care i'm going to try to do the the right thing and then it, you know you find out it's it 700 bucks to remove a splinter and i again i understand doctors are trained i i get it and you you know you want somebody to be able to look at you but all right, maybe if that's the case, we do need this element of transparency because if they would have told this man it was going to be $400, my guess is that they, they would have moved to a plan B or a plan C or maybe, I don't know, found some other doctor who would you know not charge this amount of money for doing it. If you want to see more links to the story, again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 uh, I, I think this is this is one of the issues that the healthcare system is going to grapple with, and like I say, I'm one of these guys who believes, as a general rule, that the present system works, and I'm one of these guys who argues that you know we we don't want to go to nationalized medicine, we don't want to go to Medicare for all. I think that's going to be the ultimate disaster that's out there. But the problem is when you have stories like this, this is what people are going to pick up. Oh, Jeff, you're defending this system where. Uh, it's $400 to remove a splinter from a girl's foot at a regular doctor's appointment. That's the type of stuff that I think the hospitals and the medical care system and to an extent the insurance companies need to take a look at because for those of us who want to defend the present system, those stories make it difficult to do that. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. There is a very scary aspect to this next story that nobody is talking about, but I, I, I want to bring up. If you recall, a couple months ago, there was this horrible story about the 33-year-old registered nurse, Carly uh, Bowden, who was murdered in the parking garage at Freighter. Remember the story? She was she was leaving work kind of late at night, and you had this this guy, his name is Kenneth Freeman, who was seen on videotape. He comes up behind her. He assaults her. And then uh, this is all captured on videotape, but there's nobody watching the videotape to see this go on. Then he drives her body to another parking garage and abandons her. She, she's found, and she, she ultimately dies. They They catch him. Kenneth Freeman, and it's very, very clear all along. He had worked there as like a valet or something a few months earlier, and they had fired him for unrelated things. But there's still no motive that has emerged for this sort of this brutal death. Well, anyhow, he's he, and it, it might have just been happenstance that she happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I know this is still a cause of great concern to people that work in that area. That you have you know, people that are in this parking garage for these things. Well, anyhow, he appears in court. And apparently what they had done yesterday is they made a preliminary determination that at this point in time, he is incompetent 
That is, he's not capable of understanding the charges against him, um, so he, he, they can't proceed, go with the criminal proceedings at this point in time. Now, the judge, my namesake, Circuit Judge Jeffrey Wagner, found that he's incompetent, but he believes that with appropriate treatment, he will be at some point in time competent to stand trial. So um, he also said the guy's been refusing drugs. The, they can give him, you know, drugs which will hopefully make him more competent, you know, against his will. But here's here's the scary thing about this story that nobody's talking about: how many of these dangerously mentally ill people, like Kenneth Freeman, are running around? I mean that that is, that is something that should terrify all of us. That you have people who are well, okay, too mentally ill to appreciate the conduct, the wrongfulness of their conduct and stand trial that are out stalking parking garages or waiting for women to come out in the middle of the night. How many people like Kenneth Freeman are out there on the streets that we can't get off the streets? That should be what scares us all. Now, ultimately, do I believe this guy's going to be brought to justice? Yes. But what about the next person? What about the person after that? We badly need to change our mental illness laws to allow us to get people off the streets sooner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, President Trump doing what many of us felt he should do which is ordering the grounding of those various planes, the 737 MAX 8 aircraft. And, and, I mean, I don't know how big a deal this is going to be for U.S. Airlines. Like I say, right now, right now, there's only, Southwest has 34 planes as part of their fleet. American Airlines flies 24 of these and out of a fleet of over 1,000 airlines. United has four. So it, it's not like this is plane is in widespread use at this point in time. The big impact is that that there are thousands and thousands of these planes worldwide on on backwater. This is the new generation of aircraft that airlines are going to use. So moving forward, if something happens and these orders get canceled or whatever, then you have, I I think, a a huge issue. At this point in time, as I said in the first hour of the program, I I think this is prudent to to do. I mean, given the fact that the rest of the world essentially grounded these aircraft pending a review. And again, if there's a if there's a software update that needs to be done, if it's a question of, you know, updating the flight manual so pilots know what to happen if this particular situation occurs and what they're supposed to do, I, I'm all in favor of it. And I think actually, even though for Boeing it, it's bad news, what would have been devastating for Boeing big picture is if, Lord forbid, you would have had one of these planes that continues to fly, particularly in the U.S., and something similar happened. So I think this is one of these things where, all right, figure it out, figure out what the fix is, make the fix, and then you know everybody goes about their business. So I think President Trump did absolutely the right thing. All right, speaking of the, the right thing, Paul Manafort, longtime Republican operative, Briefly, in 2016, he was the campaign manager for President Trump. Paul Manafort, 70 years old and not necessarily in the greatest health, is also a big-time white-collar criminal. Paul Manafort, after a several-week trial, was convicted of, 
uh, of really what is tax fraud. What, what happened is he was working for the then president of the Ukraine. He had a public relations thing advising him, and, and he didn't want people knowing how much money that he was making. So what he did is he took his money, he laundered it through offshore banks, and he didn't pay taxes on it. That that's it, It's just at the end of the day, it was kind of complicated, but he was just a tax cheat. In addition to that, what happened is when this source of revenue dried up, Manafort didn't want to give up his fancy lifestyle. So what he did is he started taking out bank loans, but he was lying on his bank loans as to what his income and what his resources were. So end of the day, he cheats the taxpayers, that would be you and me, out of millions of dollars, six to eight millions of dollars and ta- million dollars in taxes that he owed. Um, he defrauds the bank. He gets convicted. The sentencing guidelines called for like 20 years in prison. The judge gives him around four years in prison. So today he was being sentenced on separate fraud charges in uh, D.C. And the judge decided, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give him a five-year sentence I'm going to run some of it concurrent, which means he serves it at the same time he serves his other sentence. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to run some sentencing consecutive, which means got to serve his first sentence, and then he starts serving his second one. Bottom line of all this is he's looking total at about seven years serving in prison. He's, again, 70 years old. He's not in the greatest health. But he's serving about seven years in prison for what I think is pretty much a massive fraud. His argument is, the reason I got snared up in this is I was I was an aide to Donald Trump. If it wasn't for the Russia investigation, if it wasn't for Mueller, if it wasn't for all this hatred of Trump, I, I nobody would have been looking at me. Now, let me just stop there for a minute, to which my response is, well, that's that in and of itself, if that's true, is is a crime, because even though I hear President Trump talking about what a great guy Paul Manafort is, the truth of the matter is Paul Manafort is, at the end of the day, a mine run tax cheat and a fraudster. And he cheated or tried to cheat the IRS, meaning he tried to cheat you and me out of millions of dollars. And that is, in fact, a crime. So in any event, all in, all done. He's looking at seven and a half years or so in prison. President Trump has said what a great guy he thinks he is. He thinks that a lot of this prosecution was political. Again, that Paul Manafort wouldn't have gotten caught up in this were it not for people maybe trying to pressure him to turn state's evidence against President Trump, etc., etc. Here's the question now facing President Trump. Should he pardon his friend Paul Manafort, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just one segment, but my question is, all right, do you think Paul Manafort is some political prisoner? You know, should Donald Trump rectify this huge wrong that has been created by his guy going to being sentenced to prison for seven years? Should the president use his pardon power to let Manafort free? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And how would you feel if something like that happened? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Welcome back. I was just listening to that spot, the wheel and sprocket, the e-bike things. I, I, I bought an e-bike last fall over Labor Day. I cannot, I, seriously, it, this is one of, this is really a cool thing. It's got an old guy like me back on a bicycle. I cannot wait until the weather gets a little bit nicer and my wife and I are planning to take like long bike rides on these e-bikes. They are really, really cool. And if you're thinking about, thinking about maybe, I don't know, getting back into bike riding like I was or just trying to move to that next level, check out these e-bikes. They are incredibly cool. 414-799-1620. All right, Paul Manafort, uh, President Trump, for reasons in my opinion that pass understanding, has been talking about what a great guy this Paul Manafort is and all these different types of things. I mean, in my opinion, Paul Manafort is, is just, he's a mine run tax cheat. He's a crook. And... President Trump is apparently considering pardoning, pardoning him. Troy in Wauwatosa. Troy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. I think, you know, this is this is just so crazy, but if he is considering even doing a pardon for him, I think the Republicans lose in 2020. Um, everybody is so upset about big government money and what things are going on, and, you know, you got all these scandals that are happening. Uh, you just We just had the the big thing with the universities out in uh, California right. and, you know, things like that, that I think people are upset about the big money issue. And I think that if if Trump were to pardon him for this, which he's obviously guilty of, yeah. this would just make people more upset. Well, Trump, Trump seems, to, the president seems to think that, well, he was singled out because he was my campaign manager and they were trying to gain leverage on him against me. And I don't know if that's the case or not, but this guy stole million, he defrauded banks of millions of dollars. He didn't pay exactly. millions of dollars in taxes. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I, 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 I mean, <laughs> the, the, right. See, I'm with you, Troy. At the end of the day, I don't care how it was that the IRS or the Justice Department or Mueller got onto this guy, but he He's a tax cheat, and we're not talking about 20 or 30 bucks. We're talking about millions of dollars. Exactly, and that's money that, like you said, that comes out of American yeah. people's money, and he's, he's defrauded us. Yes. No matter what happens with he, what he did with Trump, right. he defrauded the people of America and out of money, and he owes that, and he deserves to... To be sentenced. Absolutely. And he deserves to, to serve his sentence. And see, that this isn't Republican. This isn't Democrat. This isn't conservative. This isn't liberal. This is the guy is a crook, at period, pure and simple. You know, he, he's a crook and he needs to be punished. Now, I, I, some people have argued that we're, we're treating him too severely. Okay, seven years. Well, that, that, that's, just, that's just too awful. That's too much time. I'm sorry. I, I don't buy that. Here, here's one of the reasons. There, and this used to frustrate the heck out of me when I would prosecute cases back in another lifetime. There, there's this idea that if you steal with a pen, if you're a white collar criminal, well, you're you're not as bad as the people who you know steal otherwise. Well, all right, and to me, stealing is stealing. Now I understand that the white collar criminals aren't; they don't have the element of force. You're not knocking somebody over the head and taking their wallet. But at the same time, you, know, you have these people that are stealing hundreds of thousands. In the case of Manafort, millions of dollars that he defrauded the government from. Millions of dollars. And here's why. When you catch people who do things like this, especially on an epic scale, here's why you've got to drop the hammer on them. It is the whole concept of what we talk about with general deterrence. Look, here's here's the bottom line. For every Paul Manafort that gets caught, my guess is there's another 10 
Paul Manafort to get away with it. And then there's another hundred people who think about doing the same thing. Gee, if I could get away with this and, and not have to pay $6 million in taxes and they never caught me, well, I, I might be willing to take the risk. So here's what happens. When you catch the Paul Manaforts of the world, you have to come down on them hard because not only just to punish them for what they did, but to also, and I hate the phrase because it's a cliche, send a message, but to send a message to that next person that's sitting there thinking, all right, I've got this money and I'm supposed to pay taxes on it, but you know what? Maybe I, I've got this idea. Maybe I could set up this offshore company and I could run it and, and then maybe they won't catch me. And even if they catch me, well, okay, here's what happened. They're, they're just going to slap my wrist, and I, I'm going to have to pay the money back, and I'm going to have to pay the fine, but I'm willing to take that risk because, all right, maybe they're not going to catch me, and I'm going to get the pocket the $5 million. So they, they catch me. I have to pay back the $5 million and maybe an extra million dollars on top of it, but it's worth the risk. That's why you have to make the penalty such that those rich, People who are committing or considering considering committing the, the white-collar fraud things, the penalty has to be sufficient to discourage them. Because if it's just, well, you have to pay back the money if you get caught, and then you get a fine on top of it, all right, people will take the risk. But if you say to some of these people, hey, look, you know, you get caught doing this, and it's not just paying back the money, but what's going to happen is we are going to take you away from your Tony mansion, and you're going to end up, you know, in some federal prison for the next five years. Maybe, just maybe, that will be a discouragement. All right, so what do I think is going to happen? All right, I'm going to make a prediction. I am going to make a prediction, and it's one that I hope I'm wrong on. President Trump's term expires, what, at the end of 2020. There is an election that's going to be held in November of 2020. If President Trump runs again, he has a chance of being reelected. Democrats will have their nominee. I guess it's possible that President Trump might just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be one term and done. I don't think that's likely, but I guess that's a possibility. Here is my prediction. Mark it down. I think President Trump is going to pardon Paul Manafort, and I think he's going to do it after the November 2020 elections. You know, Troy made the point, and he's absolutely right, that if he does it before the elections, there there's going to be a huge backlash, and and it just will. It it will be it will be a campaign issue. But after the 2020 elections, one of two things is going to happen: either President Trump will have not been reelected, and he's going to be leaving, just like Bill Clinton. You know, when Bill Clinton was on his way out, he was pardoning pretty much everybody he could find. So once the November 2020 elections have rolled around, President Trump is either going to be there for another four-year term, and he can't run for a third term, or he's going to be on his way out having lost the election. Either way, he's got nothing left in many respects to lose. That's when I think it's likely that you're going to see a pardon for Paul Manafort. If that happens, I will be extremely disappointed. But that's kind of my prediction right now. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Well, yesterday, told you the breaking news story was that Lincoln Hills, which is the school, it's the lockup for juveniles, 
and, and the people that are in Lincoln Hill, there's been all sorts of problems. Lincoln Hills is up north. There's been all sorts of problems with Lincoln Hills and guards and things like that. But part of the problem is that the people that are – got to work to get yourself sent to Lincoln Hills as a juvenile. And the people that are in the Lincoln Hills facility are, by and large, extremely dangerous. Oh, Jeff, how can you say that a 15-year-old is extremely dangerous? Because if the 15-year-old has done stuff to get them sent to Lincoln Hills – they are, in fact, dangerous. So the, the legislature, in its wisdom, has decided, okay, we're going to close Lincoln Hills, and we're going to build a couple more facilities across the state, including some closer to where people come from, which, I, I mean, I guess it does. It makes sense if you've got a lot of people that are coming from Milwaukee, and you do. You have a lot of violent, dangerous juveniles that are committing crimes. It makes more sense to have them closer to home. So to the extent that anybody chooses to visit them, they, they can do it. All right, so the Evers administration announced yesterday that, hey, we're, we're going to build a detention facility, secure a lockup. And they announced, apparently with taking input from almost nobody in the community, they announced that they were going to put it a couple blocks away from my middle school, Glen Hills Middle School in Glendale. Now, this is actually going to be in Milwaukee. It's going to be on the corner of Tetonia and Mill Road. But that's a couple blocks away from, from Glen Hills Middle School. It's on the border of Glendale and Milwaukee. Common Council President Ashanti Hamilton is saying, wait, wait a second, Evers is the one who picked the site in the district didn't take any input from me, got no input from the community, got no input from Milwaukee County. We don't know what's going on here. They just decided to stick it there. Tom Barrett, you know, he, Barrett's probably glad that they don't intend to put it downtown. He's glad to have it, you know, out. Well, let's let Glendale deal with the, the fallout from this. But now there is this huge controversy involving, all right, where is the location? I think it is fair to say that it makes sense that, you know, if you're going to, rather than sending all these dangerous juveniles up to Lincoln Hills, it makes sense to have them closer to home. But before you stick them a couple blocks away from a Glendale Middle School, maybe you'd want to get a little bit of community input. Wouldn't you think, Governor? Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, a little bit, I have, I have, this is the document. Forget about Marquette University Law School polls about politics and stuff like that. And forget all that. I have the thing that everybody's been waiting for. It's right here in my hand. We're going to talk about this later on in the hour. I have. The official breakfast cereal power rankings. Forget the NCAA things. Forget all that. <laughs> this Forget is what the brackets. Everyone's been waiting this is for. It. It's the official <laughs> breakfast cereal power ratings. Ooh. Now this is for cereals that tend to be on the sweet side because it's not it's not fair to compare Cheerios with Lucky Charms. Right. You know? but, so this is Rice Krispies with something else. This is for like cereals that tend to be on the sweet side. Mm-hmm. Are you a breakfast cereal girl? You know, I am not, but I recently bought a box of, um, they're like uh, Puffs. Are they Puffs? Called Puffs? Reese, Reese's Puffs. Yeah, the Reese's Peanut Reese's Butter Puffs. Peanut yeah, Butter Puffs yeah, cereal. I know. I was looking for something, again, sugary, okay, that like you're would talking t- about. That would tend to be on the sweet yeah. side. Okay. All right. Well. And it was good. All right. So that would be your vote. All right. Oh, they're actually. Are they on there? They are. They're number five <laughs> oh, on my list. Oh, my word. Uh, they're on of my power rankings. I like mixing um, cereals, so I did Special K with that. So. The back of the Reese's Puff, I've never had that, is weird. Mm-hmm. It catalogs a long, long list of reasons why you might not like Reese's Puffs, 
But the uh, bottom line is the chocolate flavor in these definitely takes a backseat to the peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Both shine through. It's like a wine thing here. Both shine through sufficiently to overcome a slightly unpleasant oiliness of the texture. The texture is, I surmise, why the cereal milk is slightly disappointing. But anyhow, that's number five on my list. Ooh, well, right. the, the whole word oiliness in there, that kind of turns me off now. Well, I mean, it, it's, like <laughs> a, it's, it's like a wine review. Later on in this hour, all right, we're going to be talking about the official breakfast cereal power rankings, and you will have a chance to weigh in. I want to, let me just start, irony alert. All right, Elizabeth Warren, who is, of course, one of the one of the kind of real wacky liberals that is running to be president. And it's going to be interesting to me to see how politics shakes out over the course of the next year and a half, because you have a real schism in the Democrat Party. You have a couple of what I would describe as the traditional center-left Democrats, kind of like in the Bill Clinton mode, Joe Biden would be one of those. Biden, I think, is going to get in the race. And then you have the the new breed of Democratic politician, um, Bernie Sanders, and then the, the Bernie Sanders light people, the, the folks who are essentially socialists, the people that, okay, we want the government to run everything. We want cradle-to-grave stuff, and we want to go after the wealthy, and we want to redistribute income, and we want to have the government take care of health care, and we want to have free college for everybody, and free this and free that and free everything, and one massive sort of system. Well, Elizabeth Warren is from that wing of the party. Right now, She's having trouble gaining traction, but that, you know, who knows what's going to happen a year from now. But anyhow, she's on MSNBC this morning, no surprise, and they ask her about this this whole college cheating scandal that broke yesterday, you know, that we've talked about, and they say, well, okay, do you... Do you, Senator Warren, you know, how do you feel about, you know, the, the people, the, these wealthy people that were paying all this money to essentially bribe their kids into college? And apparently, in, in her way, she kind of says uh, zero. Um, she holds up her left hand to make a zero with her thumb and forefinger. I have zero sympathy for these people who might, I don't know, use their wealth to try to get an advantage for their their children none at all all right well irony alert here this is the same elizabeth warren who recently took a dna test showing that she is one one thousandth and twenty fourth native american one one thousand and twenty fourth native american who when she was applying herself to harvard university she claimed minority status and when she was filling out her state bar application, she claimed minority status. So here is somebody who has zero sympathy for some of these parents who might be, I don't know, cheating or bribing to try to get their kids opportunity. And this is, of course, the same woman who, well, when it was presented to her, all right, I'm a Native American. Here, give me some, you know, extra credit. I just point that out as irony alert. Okay, let us switch gears. I, back in the day, when late night, when I was growing up, late night television was dominated by Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson was the Tonight Show. Now, back in the beginning, there wasn't cable television, or cable television was a lot more limited, and, and so you didn't have all these different choices. And you had other late night TV hosts. I mean, there was Joey Bishop, and there was Dick Cavett, and you know the the list go, goes on. 
and on. But Johnny Carson was the gold standard for late night shows. And people would tune in. I mean, people would stay up at night, and that for lots of people all across the country, that was it. Here, you know, we're going to get ready for bed, and then we're going to watch Johnny Carson, in particular the Johnny Carson monologue, and then, then people would go to bed. Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show was a dominant thing. After Johnny Carson left, there was the late-night TV wars. You had David Letterman, who was on after Carson. He wanted the gig. You had Jay Leno, who was a replacement for Carson. He wanted the gig. What ended up happening is Jay Leno took over The Tonight Show. You had uh, David Letterman, who went to CBS. And and those were the guys that were on late-night TV. You had other people. You had Arsenio Hall. You had people that would come and go. But but it was it was Jay Leno. It was David Letterman. Now both of those guys are are gone. They have retired, and now you have the new breed of of late night shows. You've got the Jimmy Fallon, you've got the Jimmy Kimmel's, etc., etc., etc. Jay Leno gives an interview yesterday, and it's kind of interesting. He said, you know, they, one of the questions he was doing an interview with Al Roker from NBC, and one of the things they asked him is they said, "Hey, do you miss it? You know, do, do you miss not hosting a late night show anymore?" And he says, you know what? He says, the truth is, I don't miss it. it. It's different now. He says, you know, everything now is, if people don't like your politics, everybody has to know your politics. He said, I kind of used the Johnny Carson model when I was doing The Tonight Show. People couldn't figure out what my politics were. Well, you and your Republican friends, or, well, Mr. Leno, you and your Democratic buddies. He said, I would get hate mail from both sides equally. And he said, that's that's what, you know, happened with Johnny Carson. You couldn't tell for sure, you know, what his politics were. He said, that's now changed now. He said, and it's also one-sided. He says, when, when people see you as one-sided, it, it makes it tough. Um, he says, now it's all very serious. He said, I'd like to see a bit of civility come back to it, you know? People say, oh, it must be easy to do jokes with Trump. He said, no, it's actually harder because, you know, of all the stuff that is going on. So, you know, he says, look, he says, this, this whole late night stuff has become, it, it's just, it's very, very one-sided. It's all political, all political, all the time. And he says, I, I don't miss this at all. Now, President Trump, following this, you know, he, he sent out a, a tweet himself talking about how, you know, the, the comedy is totally one-sided. It's tough when there's only one topic, et cetera, et cetera. I thought this was an interesting concept, though, and that's what I want to talk to you about. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has late-night television gotten too political? Is it turning you off? Do you watch it less? Would you like to see kind of a return to, yeah, when the, when the, when the guys and gals, yeah, they did political humor. There, there's no question about it. You did topical humor, but, but that it wasn't the relentless, in this case, the one-sided, let's bash President Trump. Did you like it better when it was simpler and less political? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have we, I mean, again, it, it's a business model, and the comedians get to do whatever they want to do, and people get to run their shows however they want to run them, and people get to decide whether they're going to watch them or not. But do you miss the days when it wasn't so completely and totally 
nothing but politics. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you, I do. We'll discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Let's start with some text. Jeff, I am disgusted by everything that goes on on late night TV right now. I like Jimmy Fallon. I watch it, but I tape it, and I go right through the monologue because all it is, night after night, is Trump bashing. Another text, late night shows, including SNL, are ridiculous. I choose not to watch. They are way too political and biased, and it just shows that they are completely out of material. Yes, I do not, here's another text, I do not watch late night or even SNL because it's all politics and Trump bashing. Frankly, it gets boring after a while. Uh, I, another text, Jeff, I cannot even watch late night any longer, and I consider myself a Democrat who really does not like Trump. The jokes, if you want to call them that, are so one-sided, so biased. Also, I think, um, I, I think, I, I, my, I'm, I watch these shows to be entertained, not to be riled up and pulled into a right or wrong in politics. And I think that's the point that, that Leno was, was making. Mike on the South Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, it's Mike on the Northwest Side. Oh, Mike on the Northwest Side. Hi, Mike. Yeah, hi. Uh, I uh, don't watch uh, late night shows anymore because they're too political. They used to be funny, and even if they're funny now, the jokes they're doing are, are not really funny. And uh, my advice is... Uh, I just watch Perry Mason on MeTV now. <laughs> yeah, that, well, I mean, there are all these different choices out there, but it, it just see. I understand what Leno's talking about. It just it, it gets it gets tedious after a while, and and maybe I'm wrong on this, but but I think when you become such a Johnny One Note. What ends up happening is sooner or later, you know, you're, you're playing to this audience. You, you've turned off a huge chunk of people, and sooner or later, Trump is going to be gone or, or whatever, but you've turned off this huge segment of the audience. And again, I, I mean, I appreciate that there is a role for political humor. There's always been a role for political humor, and I wouldn't be saying, well, gee, the, the comedian should exclude, you know, not making fun of, of the president when there's an opportunity. But we, we've gone past that, and I think that's what Leno was talking about. Let's talk to Jim in, Hales, in, Jim in Elm Grove. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Say, you know, my wife and I watched Johnny, and we loved him. And then, of course, we switched to Jay, and it took a little while, but we loved Jay. Then we switched to Jimmy. And it took a little while, but we started. I, th- I thought Jimmy did a great job. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Trump was elected. And, mm-hmm. you know, I could, we could both handle a couple of Trump jokes. Just sure. like, you know, they had a, he had a few jokes, you know, about all the prior presidents. But I would sit there and I'd say to my wife, well, tonight I'll say five. And it was five jokes in a row or five or ten minutes just about Trump. Right. And then the next night would be the same thing. And the night after that would be the same thing. Yeah. And and I'll tell you, I I, I don't know if it's been a year and a half, maybe two. We haven't turned him on. And I I don't care what's on, but it isn't going to be Jimmy anymore, needless to say. And I'd love to see what new rating show for his show over the last couple of years. Well, I mean, mean, I'll tell you what the the rating show. There there are the the anti-Trump, the the we hate Trump. President Trump people, the crowd can't get enough of it. And they're, they're lapping it up with a spoon. And so, you know, those are the people that are watching the shows. Now, the problem is you, you've also, you know, you, you've, you, you've turned off, you know, 
50, 60, 70 percent of, of the electorate who are either Republicans or are moderates or apolitical or whatever. But, you know, you're, you're appealing to that that increasingly more narrow, I think, core that's out there. And at some point in time, th- those people are either going to stop watching because they get bored because it's the same thing. I mean, th- th- this is the problem, again, with the Johnny OneNote type of, of thing. And, look, it, it happens all across It happens all across the board. I mean, I understand there's some radio hosts that three hours a day, all they're talking about is, gee, isn't Nancy Pelosi terrible if she considers impeaching President Trump? Well, I think that's kind of a boring thing to do. If every day it's three hours of the same stuff. But the same thing is true, I think, with these late-night hosts. And I, I thought it was interesting that Leno, who loved doing the tonight show is just saying hey stuff has changed now it's just it's just so political he said i used to enjoy getting the hate email from both sides people saying hey you know you're you're too much of a republican or the other side saying you're too much of a of a democrat he says now there's no question everybody's got to know your politics and you know you've got to be part of that tribe if you're going to succeed on late night tv and i think that's kind of unfortunate pete in milwaukee pete you're on wtmj hello yeah, I I can't uh, disagree with anything that your other callers have said. Um, they took away my steam already. I feel that exactly the same way. I have not watched a late night talk show um, in in years um, because I've just gotten so disgusted with the way that they just—it's a relentless, right. just horrible, cruel treatment of the office of the presidency and i think whether a person is politically like like trump or not we owe the guy a little bit more respect than what's been given and i think it's just it's, it's taken it too far well you know, it's it's the too far thing i mean look I, I i don't think presidents are exempt from jokes and mocking and that that's oh, always been the case but you're you're right i mean th- it is it is like okay if you've got an eight minute monologue it's all right we're going to spend eight minutes just trying to say whatever horrible thing we can say about the president and that's what we're going to do tonight and that's what we're going to do tomorrow night and that's what we're going to do the next night and i do think there's a lot of people that that get it gets fatiguing after a while. Yeah, back in the day, we had Johnny Carson on there, and, and Johnny would, would make some jokes that they were creative. Yeah, It wasn't malicious. It was creative. He made fun of Reagan. He made fun of Carter. Uh, but the thing is, it wasn't malicious. It wasn't a horrible attack on right. them personally. It was about, oh, some little idiosyncrasies that they had. And he would pick on them a little bit. But everybody knew it was just a joke, and it's it's not not to be made horrible, right. cruel. Right. That's not the that's not the dynamic anymore. No, you're you're absolutely right. Now somebody says, Jeff, it must be working, or they wouldn't be having so many jokes about Trump. Well, it 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 works until it doesn't. I, I mean, I think what's happened is you have these shows have driven a large segment of the viewing audience away. People who maybe before would have watched The Tonight Show or would have watched Leno, now now they're not watching it. But at the same time, you, you've got that, that base. You've got the, the folks that are the anti-Trump people, the Trump haters, and they can't get enough of it. Loretta in Racine, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello there. Hello. I, I agree with everybody else um, about you know what I'm watching. I, I just can't watch it because I, it, it's redundant. Yeah. My question to you is: What if this was happening in the Obama era, and every night 
there were five jokes on each station about Obama. Well, it wouldn't happen because there would be such backlash. You would have, if you had a host that was doing that and was was doing something similar, similar jokes about Obama that that they're doing with to Trump. You you know that there would be backlash against that host. He's he's misogynistic. He's racist. He's whatever it, it is. And you wouldn't be able to do it. No, thanks. I mean that's that's just kind of the the reality of this. Now uh, again. I, I understand there, there's a business element to this. I get this. I mean, it's why, like the New York Times, make it the New York Times. Their digital subscriptions are up. Why? Because they write stories that are negative to Donald Trump. They're they're not, in my opinion, they're not a newspaper anymore. What they are is they're an opinion piece. Uh, but it, it's been a successful business model for them right now because people know if you want to read bad stuff about Donald Trump, you get a digital subscription in the New York Times. It's working for the moment. My question is, is that a good long-range strategy for either the New York Times or for the late-night comics? And I think that's where the jury is out. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Nick, who's producing the last hour of the show for Gru. Um, this is something you have to look forward to when you get married. My wife sends me this text saying, on your way home, can you pick up six potatoes? Not five potatoes, not seven, six potatoes and cashews. Now, why? It, 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 the mind kind of reels. Six potatoes and cashews. What could possibly be going on at my house later on today that we need six potatoes and cashews? Just kind of mind-boggling. No, no, actually, I'm kidding. We are my, my dear friend Maggie, it's her birthday, and we're having some people over. And I assume this is all going to be part of, of the dinner that we're making. I assume. All right. Actions have consequences. Dick's Sporting Goods. You might recall that Dick's Sporting Goods made a decision last year that it was going to be banning sales of assault-style weapons in their stores. What they did, and this followed the Parkland School shooting, they halted sales of high-capacity magazines and guns to anyone under 21. And then what they ended up doing is starting removing hunting products from their stores. Well, what they found that has happened, and this is, again, where actions have consequences, what they found is that sales in these various stores have just gone through, have fallen off. I mean, they've fallen off a cliff. So what they said yesterday is Dix has now decided that they're pretty much going to get out of the, the hunting and the gun business entirely. They're going to pull hunting gear from 125 stores starting in August, and that's as a result of slumping sales in these stores, and they say that they expect that that's going to spread to more stores next year. Because apparently what what's happening here is once they made the decision to start banning the sale of guns, um, people just decided, okay, we're we're not going to go and we're not going to patronize dicks anymore. And so now what they're seeing is, okay, we don't have the guns, so people aren't coming in and they're not buying the hunting gear and things like this. Um, making this decision put a, a pretty decent dent in the overall sales for 
for dicks um the company net income for the last quarter fell to 102 million dollars from 116 million for the previous year same store sales fell 3.1% over an adjusted 12 uh, month period so i mean what actions have consequences now as a matter of principle they decided okay even though we're a sporting goods store we're not going to sell firearms that that's okay they get the right to do that but what happens is that customers then have the right to decide that we're going to vote with our pocketbooks. And so as a result, customers weren't coming into Dick's to buy these products and then to buy other products, and Dick's hasn't figured out a way to replace those different sales. Now, I get that there's all sorts of other things that might be going on as well, but there's no question that their decision to remove guns directly I think caused a pretty significant drop in sales of other type of related products, not to mention losing the, the gun sales. And the result is Dix is now struggling to figure out how they are going to replace it. Will they be able to succeed? Maybe, but maybe not. All right. When we come back, the power rankings are in. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. All right. This is my treat to you. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Just sent out a link to what we're going to talk about next. Forget about politics. Forget about political polls. Forget about the NCAA basketball polls. I have in my hands the power rankings that really matter. I am talking breakfast cereals. All right. The L.A. Times just did their own ranking Breakfast cereals. And what they did is they divided them. These rankings relate to cereals that are are sweet as opposed to like the non-sweet cereals because it's really not fair to compare frosted or cocoa puffs to, I I don't know, to, to, um, you know, plain Cheerios or Rice Krispies. But we have the official power rankings for sweet breakfast cereals. Now, I have to admit, there was a time in my life where I thought that breakfast cereals were were kind of like a food group. And there are many occasions, and can I see a show of hands? You might be me in this case, too, where, you know, you come home, there's not a lot to eat, you don't feel like making dinner or whatever, so what the heck, you go to the cabinet, you take out that box of breakfast cereal, you have a big bowl of it, and that ends up being your dinner. I know I can't be the only person that's ever done that. Now, as time has gone on, and I have become a little bit more health conscious. I, I have to admit, I've, I'm pretty much sworn off of sweetened breakfast cereal just because, well, just, just because. Don't need the sugar and things like that. So I, I'm pretty much sworn off of that. But that does not mean that I do not remember the good old days where, you know, you'd have that big box of sweetened breakfast cereal and you just kind of go at it. All right, I thought we would have a little bit of fun in the remaining minutes of the program. I have the list at least of what the L.A. Times describes as the official sweetened breakfast cereal power rankings. My question to you is, I'm sure we all have our favorites. All right, when it comes to breakfast cereals, are you a breakfast cereal-aholic? And what is your favorite sweetened breakfast cereal? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. You know what I'm talking about. The breakfast cereal that you think perhaps qualifies as a food group unto itself. That breakfast cereal that, well, 
I don't know, you're on the desert island. The ship is going down. You see the little desert island that's off in the distance. You're only going to be able to grab something that's going to have to sustain you for the foreseeable future. All right, what is the breakfast? And it turns out to be you're down in the galley of the ship, and there's a whole ton of breakfast cereals that are there. What boxes are you going to grab? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I can tell you where your cereal of choice falls in on the scale that we have here, at least according to the L.A. Times rankings. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That you make the trip to the store, you're in that cereal aisle, and... I don't know. You know it's probably not good for you, but it's the one you want to have. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see a number of texts coming in. Perry. Perry goes and says Frosted Flakes. Now, I have to tell you, Frosted Flakes, that would be my cereal of choice, too. I mean, like Tony the Tiger says, they're great. But interestingly enough, in the power rankings... Now, we must be dinosaurs here because Frosted Flakes, even though they've got a great mascot, they only come in as 18 on my power rankings, which does kind of make me wonder about the polling and the choice. How can you, how can you, you know, have Frosted Flakes that are only 18? Okay, our text line is exploding. Our phone line, 414-799-1620. Kelly in Greenfield says, I am a huge fan of Golden Grams. Yeah, Golden Grams. Never had those myself. Golden Grams. Uh, Golden Grams. They are number four on my list. Um, let's see. Uh, people love honey, so they love that. All right. 414-799. Lucky Charms and Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah, they're both on the uh, list. French Toast Crunch. That's number seven on my list. People just kind of love that. Lucky Charms has to be on here somewhere. I haven't had Lucky Charms in... I probably haven't Lucky Charms in 40 years. They're number 22 on the list. Uh, number 22, they're kind of dropping down a little bit. I think maybe it's the marshmallow stuff. Uh, let's see. Deborah, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Kyle, Peanut Butter Captain Crunch. None of this stuff sounds good for you. Let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Usually I do behave myself with, like, Raisin Bran Special K or something like that, but occasionally when I do want to misbehave, I'll take peanut butter, Captain Crunch, and I'll put chocolate milk on it. <laughs> that just sounds that just sounds so wrong. <laughs> it just sounds so wrong. So It does, and I hope my gym's not listening, but I also have, have done, like, chocolate Cheerios and banana-flavored, like, the milk, too. Okay, thanks for okay, the call. Let's talk to Scott in Greendale. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jeff, peanut butter Captain Crunch, baby. That's where it's at. You know, it's interesting. i got to tell you, that that's not even on the top 25 of the list. Captain Crunch is at 21. Captain Crunch Crunch Berries. That's that's in at number twenty, but I don't wow. the, the peanut butter. So they're they're missing something, huh? The peanut butter, it's not good for you, but it's really good, huh? Yes, without a doubt. Um, okay, thanks for the call. French toast crunch. Well, that's probably not Captain Crunch. That comes in at seven, but um, cocoa puffs. That comes in at number three. I remember cocoa puffs. I, I mean, again, they've got frosted flakes as number eighteen. How can you have frosted flakes as number eighteen? Let's talk to Mike, who's calling us from a car. His car. Hi, Mike. Hey, good, good afternoon. Okay, when, you're, when you've got that fix, you need your breakfast cereal, which direction are you going? I go Cocoa Krispies. I had it Tuesday for dinner. 
Uh, you had it for dinner. Okay. What? 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 Okay. What? What happened? You just don't feel like making. You don't feel like making dinner or something like that. It's too much trouble, so you just go to the Cocoa Krispies. Well, the wife loves chicken, and I don't. So I <laughs> barbecued her up some chicken, and I had Cocoa Krispies next door. I'm. Te- I hope she appreciates what a good husband that you are, Mike. You made her dinner, and then you ate cereal. And I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. Thank. No. You're, you're a keeper, pal. I mean. I tell you, Mike, your wife should appreciate it. Cocoa Krispies actually is um, number, they're number eight um, on on this list. Um, Cocoa Krispies, well, let's see, I mean, of course, it's a, the chocolate version of, of Rice Krispies, but um, I haven't had Cocoa Krispies in ages as well. Let's talk to Helen in West Dallas. Helen, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Helen. Um, I, I eat uh, Special K, sometimes with strawberries, sometimes without because I'm diabetic, I can't have the sugar cereals anymore. But if I could, if you could, right? I would love to go back to eating Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops, yes, I love the Fruit Loops too. I in in another in another life, I'm with you. I I could sit. I could eat a box of Fruit Loops at at oh one. Oh my god, setting. they're amazing. <laughs> uh, let's see. There, I know they're on here somewhere. I'm trying to find them. Remember some of these other Apple Jacks? You ever have those? Remember Apple Jacks? Oh yes, my father used to be a, a truck driver. Okay, and they gave him big boxes of them to bring home, <laughs> and we had so many Apple Jacks that we. We just we couldn't even look at them anymore. We got so grossed out by them. It. <laughs> it was just too much. Okay, Fruit Loops is number thirteen on the list. Tricks, which is kind of like a, a poor man's Fruit Loops. Those, those that's seventeen. I like Fruit Loops a lot better than I like fr- uh, Tricks. I do too. I do too. Um, yeah, thanks. No, but but I, I'm I'm with you. That's that's kind of left my diet again. If if my if my doctor is listening, I promise. Um, I've been staying away from all this. This is just kind of like a trip down memory lane. Let's talk to um, Randy in Kenosha. Randy, you're on WTMJ. At Walmart, Malta Meal has a generic version of Fruity Pebbles. Okay. And they go further by making it even worse for you by putting the uh, marshmallows from Lucky Charms in it. <laughs> oh, so it's so they're 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 covering all sorts of bases as as well. Fruity Pebbles is number nineteen on my list. Now you're 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 you've got a generic. You you found a knockoff of Fruity Pebbles. Yeah, yeah. It's just Malta Meal makes the generic ones are cheaper. So uh, you, yeah. you <laughs> that's right. It, it it all works out. No, I, I get it. All right, I have to say this. This topic has generated the largest response of texts. I mean, in the space of 10 minutes, dozens and dozens and dozens of texts. As people are waiting, Quisp, uh, boy, I haven't thought of Quisp in ages, Cinnamon Life, uh, Reese's Puff Cereal, so um, Melissa is not alone. Jeff, I love Fruity Pebbles or Cocoa Pebbles or Rice Checks with Bananas. Uh, send Okay, uh, let's see here. Uh, peanut Butter Captain Crunch goes on and on. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, um, it goes on and on. That's one of the great things about America. You've got all sorts of different choices of breakfast cereal. If you want to see the whole list, Complete with explanation. I've got a I've got a link to it on my Twitter account. If you follow me at Jeff Wagner six twenty, that is the most recent tweet. Forget the uh, again the NCAA basketball polls. This is the power rankings that really matter. See if your cereal is on there. By the way, number one, number one. They say it's the best sweetened cereal. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Number two, 
Honey Nut Cheerios. Number three, Cocoa Puffs. Check out my Twitter account for the rest of the list. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.